Hey church, happy Sunday. It's really good to see you guys this morning. And once again, for the third week straight, I'm here to tell you, I am so sad that you're not with me right now. Um, I don't like preaching to an empty room. I don't like preaching by myself. I like when you guys talk to me. Uh, so talk to me in the comments at least while we're going back and forth. It helps build me up, helps me feel excited. Shout a hallelujah, Sadiqo, I'm looking to you. Let's do this, girl. Uh, amen. Uh, so we've been talking for the whole year um, on this topic of the three pillars in our church. And the three pillars are, as you know, who's been paying attention with us. Pillar one is our relationship with God. Pillar two is our relationship with our local church or our community, our church at large. And then pillar three has been evangelism and reaching the lost. And I've been telling people that I absolutely believe that if you go out of your way and circle your life around fulfilling your relationship with God, having a close relationship with the Christians around you and getting involved in your church and helping those in need, you will always manage to fulfill all all of scripture and all of your call that God has for you. And so I have a ton of people say things like, I don't know my call, I don't know my destiny, I don't know what plan God has for me. And I would always like to point you back to those three pillars, that if you're walking in those three things daily, you are in the call God has for you. And you'll land in the specifics as you just do those things that God is calling you to do. Uh, but as you know, we've been dealing with the first pillar so far uh, for one more month. Actually, at the end of this month, we're shifting to our second pillar. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm really excited for that. But for this first pillar, our personal relationship with Jesus, we have been calling it first love. We know that Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit within us should be the first love in our lives. As C.S. Lewis put it, that if you put first things first, second things aren't suppressed, but they're increased. Therefore, meaning that the people in my lives, the things that I've loved more than God, if I actually put those things second and put God first, God teaches me to better love, better handle, and better deal with those things that I was putting first before God. I've got something in my mouth. Amen. Before God. And it's a sermon. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> both real, I had a fluff in my mouth. Um, but, um, but I'm excited to continue our talk on first love. We have a few more weeks of it, and so I want to take full advantage of it. Uh, so this week, we're going to be talking on being kingdom-minded. Listen, this is everything with God. I've said it before, um, and especially during the devotionals, I've been saying it a lot. Uh, but when Jesus Christ came and died for us, he came to establish his kingdom first and foremost. And so when we operate with God, we're actually operating as part of a kingdom, and that kingdom is of God. We, we don't live, no, we no longer live for earthly things. We live for spiritual things. We know that the spiritual is much more real than the physical because the physical is fleeting. The physical is passing. But when we live for a kingdom where even when we do things here on earth, if we do it with Christ in mind, those things, those actions, they become eternal in the sense that they continue forever and they affect us and our relationships with God in a really beautiful way. Uh, so on the concept of being uh, kingdom-minded, I want to read a verse to you. A section of scripture is going to be John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Uh, something really cool, If you, Charles Spurgeon, they call him the Prince of Preachers. Uh, they say that he's this, you know, he's a great preacher. And actually, if you read some of his sermons, you'll learn a lot. He's, he's a really great preacher who died... Uh, a long time ago. Um, but he actually said that when he went to meet dead men on their deathbed, he read to them John chapter 3. He argued that John chapter 3 is the most important section of all of Scripture. And what he says is if it's of the utmost importance for dying men, that it should be just as important for men who are living. And so I want to take this section of Scripture that 
um, Spurgeon says is the most important. And I want to draw some truths about being kingdom-minded out of it. Amen? Uh, so if you got your Bibles, you should. If you don't, you should. I'll wait. Go grab it. I'm just kidding. I won't wait, but, you know, you can probably pause it or something or rewatch it later or have your notebooks with you. You get a closer seat to Jesus in heaven when you have your notebook. I don't remember the Bible verse off the top of my head, but it's definitely there. Uh, don't double check. Just read your Bible with me. Um, but John chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. I'm reading out of the ESV. You can read out of, out of whatever you want, but I brought a, a technological verse, Bible, that's going to appear right in front of my face, and it's going to show you all 15 verses that I'll be preaching out of. So John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Um, Pharisees, as we know them, uh, not exactly big fans of Jesus, uh, but in this moment, uh, Nicodemus is curious. And uh, Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. Uh, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Uh, Jesus answered him. See, he's, he's like trying to flatter Jesus. And Jesus immediately responds with, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Like, that doesn't even answer what he's saying. Like, Jesus just comes up and, <laughs> and just off topic, just starts shooting something at him. He's basically telling him, no, you don't really believe that I'm from God. Um, truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? But Jesus answered, again, kind of off topic, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and that's important, we're going to come back to that, so keep note of that, water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and your heart, uh, sorry, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes or where did it come from? Cotton Eye Joe. Um, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? So Jesus is kind of embarrassing him a little bit. He's kind of calling him out. He goes, wait, I'm speaking to you from Old Testament prophecies. I'm speaking to you from things you should know, but you can't understand what I'm saying. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, uh, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you did not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Uh, I'm going to pray with you guys, and again, we're going to talk on our topic, our three pillar series, First Love, Kingdom Minded. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, God. I pray that we would be encouraged in these troubling times, Lord, that, that we would know that you are with us, that you are here, that you are faithful, that, that God, your hand is with us, your hand is over us and protecting us, God. Uh, God, I pray we wouldn't see these times through the lens of our, our reality or our, or our bubbles or our perspectives, God, but we would see these times through the lens of your spirit, God, through the lens of what you've done for us, your heart for us, and your cross, Lord.
We love you and we thank you for making us into who you're calling us to be, God, for, for building your church in a time where it should have shrunk, Lord. And in Jesus' mighty name I say, amen. Um, have you ever met people or have you ever had moments where someone is so wrapped up in their perspective that they can't see the truth? Have you ever experienced certain situations where you were so convinced you were right about something and then when you actually went to go look it up or check it or watch the video or look at the picture, it turns out you were totally wrong in every way? Um, I think that's actually... I think that's actually really common. I think that's something that happens to all of us regularly. And it's kind of funny because it's almost like we never learn our lesson because we, we're convinced we're right, we get proven wrong, and then the next time we have a chance to be humble and learn the lesson from last time, what do we do? Oh no, I'm right this time. And we get proven wrong again. Uh, I've heard a, a wise man say that perspective is 90% of reality, which is true in the sense of our emotional responses. But in truth, perspective is almost none of reality. Uh, there is an absolute truth, and sometimes we just don't see the picture very well. I'm reminded of the picture of one of the members of the royal family. And if you look at the picture, it looks like he's flipping off the... Uh, it looks like he's flipping off a camera. But then you see the same picture from a different perspective and he's actually holding up three fingers like this that when shot this way, it looked like he was flipping people off. But when you got a better look at the picture, this perspective wasn't just a personal truth. This perspective was wrong. It was seeing things from a way that wasn't totally true. Um, I am kind of the king of this. I grew up as a know-it-all. And if I can be totally honest, I hang out with some know-it-alls too. A lot of people that are, that are not as smart as we think we are, right? It happens to us all the time. But there is a member of our church. He goes to Boulevard Church, LV. Uh, I am not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying he's flawless. But what I am saying is something a lot of us around him have learned is that if he speaks up and says something as if it's a fact, you can probably bank on it being a fact. And that man is Maxwell Boardman. Maxwell, you better be watching this sermon. I'd be so embarrassed that I shouted you out. But, uh, so Maxwell, like I said, he's someone that when he says something, we should probably just be quiet and listen because usually he only speaks up when he knows he's right because he has the presence of mind. Again, it's not that he's always right. It's just he has the presence of mind to not speak when he could be wrong. I don't have that gift. And neither do some of the other people around him. Um, something that I do all the time to people, I love to watch it. I'll watch people start to argue back and forth about something random, right? About a TV show or about this, what happened in the movie or something. And people just start arguing back and forth. And I started shouting this thing out. It makes people mad. I'll be like, Google it, right? I mean, we live in the day and age where we don't have to wonder who's right. We can just go look up who's right. And so I don't get why people argue for 10 minutes on whether someone's right about something when you can just look it up immediately. And that's the end of it. But something that makes me laugh is I'll watch certain people and they'll argue. And Maxwell will say, hey, that's actually not right. This is what's right. And I'll watch them argue with Maxwell. And I'll be like, bro, like, we know this. We know the fact that he spoke up. He's right. And they'll argue. And then inevitably, I'll just go Google it, right? And someone will Google it and will look at it and be like, yeah, Maxwell's right. Uh, Pastor Thomas stopped arguing with Maxwell recently. And now he just says, oh, Maxwell says it. And it must be right, right? Because we're learning. We're catching on. Uh, but something that's just so funny, I think those kind of arguments and those kind of interactions and who's right going back and forth, I think they're so common because our perspective, it really isn't always the truth. The way we see things isn't always necessarily how things really are. And the way we remember things really isn't always the way things should be remembered. Um, and I I think that's kind of true not even just not even just with 
how we remember things, but with how we view life as a whole. Life, there is an absolute truth to it, but we all have so many different backgrounds. We all have so many different beginnings. We all have so many different ways we've lived our lives that we all view the world in such different and radical ways. And I would argue that's one of the main reasons why Jesus had to come and die for us. He had to give us a hook for us to all look to and give us a perspective that we could all have that's true no matter what. And so when Jesus enters the fray and when Jesus enters our lives, what's supposed to change is our subjective view of the world. Our testimonies are beautiful. Our testimony has got us to where we are. But our testimonies aren't supposed to hold us back. They're not supposed to make us cynical. They're not supposed to hurt us. But when you add Jesus to your testimony, it becomes a way to help others. Amen? So C.S. Lewis has an amazing quote, and I love it to death. And the quote is, um, when you see it, what you see in here depends a great deal on where you are standing. It also depends on the sort of person you are. See, I love that quote because C.S. Lewis kind of takes it to a new level. Our perspectives, our subjective realities, the way we view politics, the way we view anything. I mean, right now it's politics, right? The way we're responding uh, to the coronavirus. I'm seeing Christian ministers post and saying why your church should still be meeting and if you're not meeting, you're in sin. And then I have other church leaders posting and saying this, here's the biblical reasons why you shouldn't be meeting right now. And if you're meeting, you're in sin. And it's like these facts, they're so opposite. So clearly we're not both right. There is truth to what God is saying. And what I think is so awesome is though how we view the world, it is so um, it is so dependent on how we grew up or how we saw things. I think that C.S. Lewis added something to this that almost changes the game. And he says it also depends on what sort of person you are. And that's important. That's crucial. Here's why that's important to think about. Because the Bible says when we're saved, we're born again. And that means born-again believers are theoretically supposed to view the world from the same lens and the exact same viewpoint. That doesn't always happen because I think sometimes we let our old worldly perspective on the world creep in and we try to change a kingdom that is unchangeable. We try to make a God fit our views instead of submitting to the God of the views. And I think in some areas it's not that big of a deal, but I think for a lot of us we're scared right now. And I think that's a worldly mentality sneaking in on our beautiful kingdom-minded God, that if we could shift our gaze to him, we would actually find ourselves encouraged in seasons like this because the church is growing and God is moving. I think, I think right now the church is called to actually give more than it's ever given before. But I think any Christian viewing the world from maybe a worldly standpoint will try to make the Bible tell them, no, I've got to hoard everything for myself and protect my own. Uh, but the Bible says that we have to prefer each other. Um, and I think if we look into the Bible, and we look into the story in First John, or sorry, just John chapter 3, we see Nicodemus is struggling with this exact same thing. See, Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, and Jesus is telling him, I'm speaking plainly to you, but Nicodemus cannot understand a word that Jesus is saying. Now, to be fair, um, what he's saying could sound really crazy if we don't have theological backgrounds and we don't know what God is saying. Born again, that sounds kind of crazy, but that's the point. He couldn't see past his view. See, here's the thing about Nicodemus is he's a Pharisee. He was a ruler. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a well-known Pharisee who was really inundated in their culture and their society. And so this particular Pharisee 
what they believed was that there was going to be multiple comings of the Messiah and that the Messiah was going to come and rule Rome physically. And so they believed when the Messiah came, he was going to come, he was going to wage a war, he was going to win the war, and that Israel was going to be in charge of everything. And so because Nicodemus is viewing the kingdom from his perspective of this is what I expect, he can't understand the words of the very Messiah he's waiting for, who's standing right in front of him and who is speaking plainly. Now, I think it's really easy for people to, I believe that's why the concept of religious spirit got so big, uh, because we like, to, we like to blame, we like to push off, and we like to, those religious people, those people who follow the Bible, oh, they're following the Bible wrong. Really, it's my perspective that's right. And I think we get so set in our view on God that sometimes we'll have the same struggle of Nicodemus, is that when Jesus comes or the Spirit begins to nudge us or talk to us, and God begins to speak plainly, because we're viewing God from our circumstances or from our expectations, we don't properly understand what God is plainly speaking. And so Jesus ends this entire talk with Nicodemus uh, by doing something really simple. He points him to the story of the bronze snake on the stick. Now, this is an Old Testament thing. This is Moses guiding Israel. Now, we know who are studying what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is that the Messiah, Jesus, is going to die. He's telling him, listen, I am not coming to win this crazy war. I'm coming to die. And like the bronze stick was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, if I am like Nicodemus, I'm expecting the Messiah to come and wage a war. When he says lift it up, what am I expecting? Oh yeah, he's going to get a throne. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to be high. He's going to be loved by the people. It's going to be this crazy thing. But when Jesus said lift it up, he meant I'm going to be lifted on a cross. He meant I'm going to be crucified. He meant I'm going to be killed. And then my name will be lifted high because you expected me to handle this situation your way, but I'm God and I'm going to handle this situation my way. And I think in this time with the coronavirus, with getting stuck in our homes, with maybe our life's perspective, and heck, when life goes back to normal, we can't deny that this isn't something we all mess with and struggle with. And Jesus, I think, will constantly take us back to the truth that, listen, don't interact with me from what you expect from me. Interact with me from the truth on who I am. And so just like Nicodemus, I think we can come to God with our expectations. I think we can come to God and and he can disappoint us because he doesn't do what we expected, even though in truth, he never promised those expectations to us. We read the Bible in such a way that those expectations would be given to us. I think for a lot of us, and by the way, myself included, it happens, I'll read the Bible sometimes looking for it to say what I want it to say. And that's something scary, or I'm looking for God to confirm something, and he'll confirm 10 times what I don't want. And the one time I see something that kind of leans towards what I really want to do, I'll call that God. But we can't worship our desires. We can't worship the future we want. We have to worship the God that's with us day in and day out. And so we have to take our perspective away from where we're at now, away from what we want God to do during the coronavirus season, away from what we want God to do with our job situation, away from what we want God to do with our families and our loved ones, and how fast God we want God to turn this all around. What we need to do is look away from our situation, 
like Nicodemus is looking at, and we need to recognize what Jesus was saying was look to him. Because the story of that bronze snake has a really clear backdrop to it. Uh, the bronze snake, for those of you who don't know, in these ancient times, Israel got attacked and they got bitten by venomous snakes, right? And they were in pain and they were struggling. And Moses prays to God and says, God, can you kind of, can you help us? Like, God, help us out. We're being attacked by these venomous snakes right now. Um, and God says, okay, take a snake and bronze it and put it on a stick. And when Israel looks up to the snake, their pains will go away. And so what Jesus is telling them, look, I know it hurts. I know it's painful. I know you just want this to be healed and be done with, but you need to look up and look at something else and look at something different and look at something better, and then you'll get healed. Do you want to see these lands healed? I think Christians need to look away from the land and look away to the God who's God over the land. I'm reminded of Paul when he says anything that is lovely, anything that is honorable, anything that we should cherish, anything that is holy, anything that is righteous. What does he say? He says, look to these things. And then that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus now. You can't understand me because you're looking for a Messiah that you want and you're not looking for the God. You're not looking for the Messiah that's in front of you. But this is the one God's bringing. And I think a lot of Christians fell into Christianity because people promised them you'd get all your wishes. You know, I really, I grew up and I, I didn't believe in God for the longest time, but I have had a lot of family members that were Christian. And I heard a lot of stories about prosperity. I heard a lot of stories about the guaranteed healings of God. And I heard all these people had all these expectations. And so they were disappointed some days by God. And it's, it's so crazy because as I was growing up as a Christian, when I finally found God, a lot of the people that I looked to they're not pastoring anymore. A lot of the pastors that I looked up to, they stepped down, they fell into sins, they fell into temptations. I mean, one of the first pastors that ever prophesied and prayed over me, he, he got stepped down from his church because he was cheating on his wife and, and they split and the church fell apart. And it's like, it's so easy for those things to happen, but I know that thinking back, a lot of those guys preached about a Jesus that would come and just handle every situation when really we serve a God that's already over every situation and he's called us to submit to him. He's called us to discipline our lives and follow him. He has promised blessings, but the blessings are in the form of his presence. I don't think the blessing is a guaranteed good job. I think the blessing is when you go into your secret place and close the door and you pray, God will meet you because God has blessed you and God loves you. And I think that for Christians who still think they need those things, we're still not looking to Jesus we're looking to the things because I promise you in those moments where I was the most broken, in those moments where I needed Jesus the most, in those moments where I needed God to move in my life, there were a lot of times where when I went before God and prayed, the situation never totally fixed itself, but I was still so comforted in the situation. You know that you know God can comfort you in the middle of your storm. He doesn't have to clean the storm up. He can actually just comfort you now. Did you know that God can actually move in your life while your husband's acting crazy? Did you know that God can actually move in your life while you're working at that job? Did you know that God can bring you peace and he can bring you comfort while your kids are acting crazy or while your significant other is stepping out or, or why the people in your life are talking down to you and you're being discouraged and you're being beat down and you're being misappreciated and people aren't uh, respecting like they should and you feel dishonored, you feel undervalued. You know, during that time, God can still move without causing the other people to value you because something that God gives Christians is he gives us the main thing that we need, which is inner peace. I, how's your soul? I think God cares a lot more about our inner man 
than our outer man. Because again, what does Jesus say? If you clean the inside of a cup, the outside gets cleaned, right? And so God comes in and he starts to work on us from the inside out. He starts to work on us as people before he makes our job go the way we want it to go. Amen. Um, that can't always be the most exciting. That can't always be the most encouraging. But I think, again, if we get a Christian perspective, and we're not like a Nicodemus who's talking to God, and we can't understand what he's saying because we're so overloaded with what we want God to do, but we need to be like the disciples who jumped out of their boats, and they left their things behind to follow the God who was going to make it make sense as they went. A fun thing to look at is Peter. Peter didn't fully understand Jesus until Jesus had died, resurrected, and come back. So that means for three and a half years, while Peter was personally walking with Jesus, he had no idea that God was teaching him and guiding him. He had no idea what he didn't know. He didn't know what he didn't know. And I think that's classic our God. He walks with us while we don't know what we don't know. He doesn't give us the answers. He doesn't give us the breakthrough immediately all the time. He walks with us. Because I, I, something that my wife loves to say that I've stolen from her is our God's a gardener. You know, I think he likes watching, I think he likes planting seeds. I think he likes watching it sprout. I think he watch, likes watching it start to grow. He likes pruning it. He likes watching it begin to bear fruit. I've said this before, but my wife has a thousand plants in our house and I hate it. When they grow, she'll run up to me and be like, oh my gosh, babe, I'm so excited. And she'll start telling me like a new plant. It's like, look, a new flower popped up. And I'm like, it looks like all the other flowers. I don't care, you know, but she's so excited. But there's a difference between a gardener and someone who's not. Gardeners don't look, people who aren't gardeners, I don't look at plants and I'm not excited by them, you know? But my wife will stop and smell every rose when we're walking at the park. Sometimes going to the park is a bit of a chore for me because we have to stop every five seconds to enjoy every little thing. But that's because my wife's a gardener and she loves that stuff and God's the same way. I think a lot of us are more like me. When we go through on a walk with God, we just want to go on the walk. But God is stopping every five seconds to show us things to teach us things, to bring excitement and bring color to our circumstance. Now, this is a lot of distant stuff. Yes, look to Jesus, Pastor Wes. How do I look to Jesus? Yes, I, I get it, Pastor Wes. I get what you're saying. We need to see things from a different perspective. Here's the problem. I have my perspective, and I can't tell when I'm having the wrong perspective. Pastor Wes, how do I do that? Well, Jesus tried to answer that same question for Nicodemus. And Nicodemus didn't quite understand it. But I want to read this section to you. Uh, again, let me see if I can find it. Um, um, um. Oh, no. This is embarrassing. I should have highlighted it, but I didn't. It's okay. Jesus loves you. Uh, someone put hallelujah in the bottom. Here we go. Uh, verse 5. You, you can stop putting hallelujah now. Verse 5, Jesus answered, oh, but you know, if you could share this, I would really appreciate it. Um, Jesus answered, again, verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And for people who study the Old Testament, actually, when he talked about water and spirit, I think there's some revelation there for all of us to gain. And that's kind of how I want to begin to close this out a little bit. Um, I have one more, two more verses to read to you guys, and then I'll pray out for the day, okay? Um, if, um, when Jesus is saying being born of the water and born of the Spirit, he's just another way of him saying being born again. This harkens us back to the Ezekiel verse that I read last week, where God says, you know, I'll take out your heart of stone, and I'll put in a heart of flesh. But that same prophecy, the first thing he says is, and I will wash you clean 
with wa with purifying water. Um, so something to realize is the first thing, which the other two things I'll give are a lot more things we can do, but the first and most important thing is this. Being born again is dependent on God. Um, and so what we need to do to change our perspective is we need to go to God. God is the one that changes our perspective. And, and I, this is an example I give to my leadership team a lot. But if you look at the disciples and they're casting out the demon and they can't cast it out, and Jesus shows up and casts it out immediately, and the disciples say, wait a second, how come you could cast this out, but we couldn't cast this out? And Jesus looks at them and says, because this one comes out by fasting and prayer. So what, what was he telling them? You guys have been going around and doing things, but I've been praying, right? And so I learned, I, I realized, I believe there's an absolute principle there of sometimes God prepares us before the moment ever came. And sometimes we're not prepared for things, not because God wasn't there to speak, but because while he was talking, we weren't listening. It's important for Christians to fast. It's important for Christians to pray daily. God does, he prepares us for our day in the secret place with him. Will he part the heavens sometimes and show up to non-praying Christians and move and help them in moments? He absolutely will. But I believe those are exceptions and not rules. Because the rule that God shows us is, talk to me every day, fast, seek my face, and I'll prepare you for any situation. And so for a lot of people who say, I don't know where my perspective's whack, I don't even realize when I'm not submitting to God, I would say the first thing to do is, I would pray more. You know, and, and the thing that, um, that could sometimes not be exciting, I, like I said, I heard a preacher preach recently, and he said, telling people to pray more isn't the answer. And that's absolutely wrong. Like that is irrevocably wrong because what else is there? We're Christians, that means we follow Christ. I'm not Christ. Listening to me on a Sunday, that's not fulfilling the mandate. But what God is calling us to do is know him personally. And so absolutely, the answer is to pray. And for some of us who don't, the answer is to do it anyway, to make time, to step in and just do it. But I have all these things going on in my life. No, you don't. We're quarantined. Uh, go pray. But, but when we get busy again, I'll have all these things in my life. Well, that's what fasting is for. You know, fasting isn't food. Fasting is whatever gets in the way of your life. I haven't fasted food. I've had fast food. I haven't fasted food in months. You know what I have to fast? I have to fast books. I have to fast video games. I have to fast television because those are the things that will get in the way of my life. And so sometimes I just have to look to my wife and say, hey, don't let me watch TV for the next three days. I just need to pray. You know, and if I try to watch TV, she'll be like, babe, go pray. Love it. It's awesome. And, um, and we got to seek God on a personal level. Um, but another thing that water represents is the word of God. If we go to Ephesians 5, verses 25 and 26, I could have used about four verses, but I'm going to use this one. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, a lot of times we read this verse and we think that husband is the main, ver uh, the main um, noun here. But actually, Christ is the main noun here. All the verbs are going towards Christ. Meaning when it says, husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. The word of God. The word is Jesus. It's also his written word. Listen, you can't have a biblical perspective if you don't know the Bible. We live in a day and age where Christians actually believe, they did a study, and I think it's something like 60% of Christians don't believe that the Bible is the, the infallible word of God. 
But here's the thing, just because fallible men wrote it, we don't believe that the men were perfect who wrote it. We believe that the Spirit of God touched these men and put this Bible together for us. We abs- I'm a Bible guy. I'm a Jesus guy. I am absolutely convinced that if we don't study our Bibles, we can't live a life that pleases God because God gave us a word that is going to help us live right for Him. It's that thing I've used where I'll be like, hey, we should go evangelize to people. And someone will tell me, well, God hasn't led me to evangelize. I'm like, yeah, in the book of Mark, he says, preach the gospel to all creatures. He did tell you to evangelize. He doesn't need to add anything special because he already told you to preach to everybody. So no, you're right. He didn't highlight a specific person. He highlighted everyone, right? But if we don't know our Bibles, we'll make little moves like that and we'll say little things like that that just aren't God because we're not backing it up with the word of God. Listen, here's the thing about the word of God. The word of God cleanses us. The word of God makes us clean. The word of God actually cleans up our mind and it helps us think better. It helps us think on better things. And if we won't read our Bibles on our own time, we're not gonna um, we're not gonna follow God in our own time. And I think the reason why people act really good in church and act crazy at home is because at church the Bible's being read to them, but at home they don't they're not getting into their word. Um, but then on top of that, um, Jesus also says the Spirit. You have to be born by water and spirit. And the spirit is being a new creation, living as that new creation and seeking God first every day. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it says that don't be conformed to the ways of the world, but by the renewing of your mind. Look, not to freak people out uh, and use a word that scares people, but the renewing of your mind translates really cleanly to the word brainwash. It's telling you to wash your mind with the word of God. And again, I think if you say brainwash when it comes to religion, people freak out and go cult. But when you say brainwash when it comes to school, you say, oh, that's just wisdom. But it's the same thing. You're inundating your mind with information. When you watch TV all day, you're brainwashing yourself because your your mind is going to respond to that. Our minds are these, they're sponges. They receive and they change according to the things they look on and think to a lot. And so the biblical view of a Christian is they're supposed to think on God. We're supposed to read and meditate on his word. When the Bible says meditate, it actually says think on scripture. That's what meditation means. And so God is coming and cleaning out our lives and he's giving us opportunities to clean our lives out with him. And I think we're not taking it. And a lot of little compromises throughout the day don't necessarily look like a big thing. But then five years into as a Christian, you start saying things that aren't biblical. You start living an unbiblical life. You start allowing sin in your life. And why is that? Well, it's because I'm not looking to Jesus anymore. Listen, we have a God-sized hole in us. And no matter how much we try to do things, 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 we'll never be satisfied. But I promise you, the man who seeks God first, looks to God daily and finds joy in his presence, will be satisfied every day of his life. And the women will too. I'm just kidding because I said man. I was just thinking all biblically there for a second. Um, but, But God is absolutely enough. He will satisfy you. He will fulfill you. He will bring peace to you in times you thought peace wasn't possible. But here's the trick. As long as you're still looking at this world in this worldly way you used to, if you basically just added Jesus to your normal life, eventually you'll fall back to your normal life because God has called us new creations. He has called us born again. And as uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, he's re- our spirit gets renewed day by day. It says that the flesh is wilting but the spirit is removed day by day. And so if we live by a worldly perspective, we will inevitably sink further into depression, further into depravity, further away from God, further into okaying sin in our lives and ruining our lives and looking up and saying, how did I get here? 
and it's because we stopped looking to God somewhere along the way, but we thought we were still looking to him, just like Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought he was following God well, but he didn't recognize God was right in front of him. It's so easy for that to happen to us. But if we're reading scriptures, if we're getting around the body of Christ, if we're saying to God, really, God, search me, and we're responding to the things he tells us to clean out, you'll never fall into that trap. I want to give you one more verse as I close this. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 17. And it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Paul is saying, I'm not going to regard things from the flesh anymore. I used to regard Christ from the flesh. Ready? What Paul is saying in this section, because it's kind of hard to understand unless you break it down. Basically, Paul is saying, we used to look at Jesus from fleshly perspectives, and we didn't understand him. You know, we once regarded Christ as the flesh, but now we regard nothing and no one from the flesh. Everything we regard from the spirit. Every part of my day, I should see through the lens of the spirit of God. My job, my finances, my friends, my loved ones, the people I let close into my life, the decisions I make, my hobbies even. I put those things to the lens of Jesus. They're more enjoyable. They're more fulfilling. My life is better for it. Because Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You can't see things from a worldly perspective if you're a new creation because the old has passed away. God will actually guide us into the old mindsets of the world. He will let those pass away and the new will come and you will see things through the Spirit of God. Again, I wrote this, we no longer deal with the world or each other from the perspective of the world as we once did. We must deal with everything from the perspective of a new creation, man or woman's perspective. This is done by studying our Bible, praying regularly, and doing the will of the God who died for us. Uh, Church, I pray that uh, this time uh, spent in isolation, this time spent in quarantine, this time that could be fearful, in time where you could be worrying about finances or your health or who you're affecting, I would like to encourage you to stop viewing your day-to-day from that lens and to view it from the Spirit which is being renewed in you every day. Honestly, after this, church is not as long because we just do a sermon. Guys, I used to run church, like it's like two and a half hours sometimes. You know, you're getting off with a 30, 45 minute message. Um, Go spend 30 minutes with God. Go take some time and go be with Him because this is good. I love that we're talking. I love that we're commenting. I love that we're sharing. And please keep doing all of those things. But really, at the end of the day, God put His entire church home. (laughs) And I believe God is telling us, come get to know me. I believe God is saying to a lot of us, I miss you. I believe God is saying to a lot of us, it's been a long time since you've really prayed. And there's a difference between praying and praying. I've said that a few times, but it's so true. There is an atmosphere shift when we're really praying God. Our, our hearts respond differently. Our minds aren't so negative, but we're looking for ways to be better and better those around us. Um, but be encouraged by that. Don't be beat up because that's the old worldly mindset. The Christianly mindset is, you're right, I have such an opportunity to go before such a great and wonderful God. Um, I'm going to pray for you guys and have a blessed day.
Uh, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person with the sound of my voice. Uh, God, I pray that you would bless them, uh, that you would make yourself known to them, Lord. People who don't know you, God, God, I pray that they would know you through this time, and those who do, God, I pray that you'd continue to shift our perspective so we would see you for who you really are, and we would respond to this world in the way that you've called us to respond to it, God. I pray that we'd be encouraged. I pray that we'd be built up, and I pray that we would continue to grow in you being our first love. Lord, I love you and praise you for all things. In your name I say, amen. Church, if you need anything, text help me to the number below. Church, if you have things to give, please text give to the number below. Oh, your giving is going to go towards feeding people in need, clothing those in need, uh, paying for the building where we do all this stuff in, keeping the lights on, and taking care of a few people that are getting paid through this process. And then lastly, um, if you need prayer, text prayer, and our team will contact you. Here's how the contact will look like. They'll eat, you can check a box that says, call me, and we will call you, and we will personally talk with you and personally pray with you. If you don't want that, don't check that box, and we'll pray for you from a distance. But know that our church is dedicated to being involved with you every day of the week. Join me on Monday uh, Monday to Saturday where I do devotionals every morning. Every Monday night we do worship. Every Wednesday night we do um, communion. Every Friday night we do prayer. And we're going to probably do some oddball things throughout the week too. So keep an eye out. Um, hit the, um, if you're on Facebook, hit the um, button so that you get alerted whenever we, um, we come on. And I'm looking forward to talking to you guys throughout the week. Honestly, in one sense, it sucked being so far away from you guys. But in another sense, I feel like I'm getting to know some of you in ways I never would have before. I think this has been such a beautiful time. Be encouraged, church. And uh, be praying for us because we're praying for you. Have a blessed week.